folks, this may be our last episode because we have achieved pretty much the gold standard of any podcast that uh, is created and put out into the world. We have officially had our very first binge listener. Jeremy Howard of Louisiana, thank you for making all of our podcast production hopes and dreams come true on your cross-country drive from Rhode Island to Louisiana. You had the patience to listen to the spoken tour through West Virginia, Virginia, and Tennessee. And for that, we thank you. Yeah, we when we set out on this podcast journey, that was kind of the holy grail of someone being on a road trip and listening to everything that we have put out. So, uh, yeah, I think we're going to probably hang the cleats up, hang the mic up after, after this episode. Yep, we'll buy our tickets home and uh, we'll call it a wrap. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, hey, not only did... Uh, Sir Jeremy Binge a lot. Um, and with his family. Too. Yes. Listened to all of our episodes, but he fired some awesome questions at us. So uh, stay tuned later in the episode as we answer these questions. And who knows? Maybe by the time you're listening to this, we will have had our second binge listener. I think we get an award yeah. after that. The golden microphone. And we start getting paid, too. <laughs> yeah. That'll be the day. Yeah, that'll be sweet. Arturo Marán. Arturo, de Yeah, it's all staticky still. I don't know what it is. Oh, dude, you got it. Hold it right there. It is Saturday, August 12th. We are in Durango, Mexico, and we're officially on the mainland. Practice your R rolling. Durango is a good word to practice on. It's Saturday, August 12th, and we are in Durango. Durango. All right, we'll work Durango. on Durango. You're getting there. Rio. Rio Grande. Anyway, we are on the mainland. We made it out of the desert. It was tough. Exhausting. Uh, hardest part, I think we would both agree, was that in addition to riding our bikes through the scorching sun all day, is that we just couldn't sleep at night because <laughs> it was so damn hot. Yeah. We just laid awake, sweating, sitting in our own sweat, and uh, I think maybe we got like 45 minutes of sleep right before the alarm went off when it reached uh, peak coolness. Yeah. What, like 86 degrees maybe? Yeah, brisk 86 yeah. degrees. It would hover around 90 at night and it was just, it was deep rest. It wasn't sleep. It was, it was, it was deep rest for yeah. about a week and a half, the last week and a half in Baja. So those final days definitely started to get to us. Um, but we made it to La Paz, not without incident. About five miles from the finish line, Tom broke another spoke. Mm. I'm sorry, his his spoke broke. He didn't break it. You no. didn't, did you? No, I didn't. I swear I didn't. Okay. But uh, yeah, luckily a couple homies in the pickup truck were able to give me a lift to our wonderful hostess's house, and uh, my crabbiness and frustration soon fizzled um, after we found out just how rad the place, the warm showers host, uh, their house was. 
It was, um, we were under the assumption it was just going to be, you know, a bed to sleep in, whatever, but um, this, this, this lady, Thule, had transformed her house uh, into a place for travelers to crash. It wasn't a formal hostel, but... Uh, Unofficial yeah. hostel yeah. with more of a family vibe, and it was free. Yeah, and just tons of awesome people, uh, other cyclists, other travelers. Um, it was just cool. It was a great way to spend a few awesome rest days in La Paz. Uh, we spent a few days waiting for a package that we thought was going to arrive, and uh, we soon found out that the package that was supposed to be there about a week prior uh, never made it because it was being held up. Confiscated. Yeah, confiscated. Federales. In... Uh, just outside Mexico City, and uh, we kind of comically found out that it was a bottle of gold bond that my brother had put into this package that... An unidentifiable yeah, white powder. Yeah, that was flagged. Um, so I have started to ration out the gold bond. Um, only one, okay, maybe two to three scoops. <laughs> Giant puffs <laughs> yeah. into the crack per day. Poor Tom <laughs> is really suffering. But, uh, yeah, like Ty was saying, we made it to the stinking mainland. We uh, blasted uh, from La Paz uh, over to the mainland on a pretty funny ferry ride. Um, as we've been describing this trip, kind of big, big picture, um, we've been saying, oh, yeah, you know, we started in Denver, then we go to uh, the West Coast, ride the coast all the way down Baja, mm-hmm. and then we ferry from the uh, from Baja to mainland Mexico. And yeah, the ferry was one thing that we knew we could count on. Yeah, and uh, I think just after all of the times we've been telling people, yeah, we're going to fer- ferry to the mainland, and then we're going to take the ferry to the mainland, and marry, blah, 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 that for whatever reason we created this expectation that it was going to be this massively important part of the trip, like, mm-hmm. oh yeah, we're gonna take the ferry and it's gonna be just like this romantic yeah. trip into the sunset and we're gonna, I was telling Ty, I was like, oh, yeah, you know, I'm gonna sleep on the deck for sure and just sleep under the stars and it'll be beautiful and it'll like be great. Leo standing yeah. on the bow of the Titanic. Yeah, yeah. and uh, just could not have been more opposite. It was just a crowded, kind of smelly, weird, cramped ferry. Um, for whatever reason, when we bought our tickets, Ty was assigned a seat and I was just assigned access. General to, admission. Yeah, general admission. So the only option I had was just to hang out in the cafeteria. And then when night fell, Ty is like, okay, well, I'm going to go to my assigned seat and have a nice snooze. And well, I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to go just wander aimlessly try and find a spot to sleep. And so I think you chose your fate. The seating arrangements were anything but organized. There was no assigned seating whatsoever. It was just find a spot on the floor and put your head down. Oh, whatever. You had you were watching movies, going to bed watching movies. I was going to bed in this brightly lit hallway on the floor. Luckily, there was actually a really tasteful little plant in the corner that I had my head. But I just draped a shirt over my face and the whole night people are walking by. Like I'm half asleep, half awake with my headphones in kind of hearing people stop and look at me with my bright green sleeping pad. Um, but the overall, needless to say, the ferry was just very, uh, I don't know, we, we set expectations. Very different. Yeah, that um, we shouldn't have. We should, we should have just gone into it as, oh, okay, we're taking a boat, and it's going to take us to mainland Mexico. And it was just, I don't know, it was, it was a little weird. 
It was. But then again, I don't think we've had a single instance on the trip so far where the reality met the expectations that we had in our mind. Yeah. And we've been doing a pretty good job at balancing, um, you know, the, the realizing that any expectations we do set um, could very well be blasted away. And, yeah, always uh, take it with a grain of salt. And I, I think almost comically, when it comes to expectations, we have been well aware that any, especially once we've entered Mexico, well aware that anything that we think is going to be one way is not going to be the way we think it is. Mm-hmm. But um, almost just for our own morale, we let ourselves slip into these idealized expectations of you know whether it's a coastal city or a beautiful whatever or a ride that's supposed to be all downhill yeah and uh i feel like half of that is just while we're pedaling for six hours a day to let our minds just like be soothed a little bit just to be like oh, okay yeah here we have these expectations that'll I've be got great this to look forward yeah to. but then also while we're pedaling and creating these romanticized scenarios in the back of our heads, we know, we both know, like, okay, well, yeah, probably it's either going to be yeah. closed or it's going to rain or it's going to smell, whatever. Like, mm-hmm. we always had that in the back of our mind. Yeah. I think these last six days of writing that it's taken us to get here to Durango, um, they were a really interesting reversal of that expectation versus reality um, mental process. Because we had this expectation that it was going to be effing brutal climbing up this 9,000 foot uh, slog to get from the sea to the mountains. Yeah, and I mean, in the name of it, people people Espinazo refer to the, the the highway as yeah, El Espinazo del Diablo, the spine of the devil. Yeah, and everything we've read, everything we've researched, everyone we've talked to, I'd say people we talked to probably were gave us the heaviest dose of like, oh my God, you're taking, you're taking El Espinazo? And like a lot of the facial expressions we'd get from Mexicans when we told them were like, you guys are just batshit crazy. What are you doing? Yeah. So we had all of those things uh, contributing to the expectation that this was going to be really, really hard. And that was more or less all we knew going into it. And sure enough, that part did not disappoint. It was really, really hard. But I think we're both in agreement that... It was so surprisingly rewarding. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, for me, uh, it was my favorite, the favorite, my favorite road we've been on. And, uh, yeah, one, I don't know, just another kind of element to add to the, the physical road that we were on. Um, about three or four years ago, they opened up a new road. It's a toll road, kind of a super highway from Mazatlan to Durango. And bicycles aren't allowed. Um, this new superhighway is considered uh, like a, an, an, engi- an engineering marvel. It has hundreds of tunnels. It has hundreds of bridges. Um, and it is, I mean, we could, we could see glimpses of it from the old road that we were on. And, yeah, I mean, it was... And it just cost an absurd amount of yeah, money to build. It was, it, was, it was, I mean, as far as roads go, it was pretty awesome. Yeah. Um, but what's so interesting about it... Uh, and just kind of, you know, it's it's the story told a thousand different times, a thousand different ways, in a thousand different places, is the kind of the idea of the price of progress. Um, because we would be pedaling through these rinky-dink little towns that were established for the sole reason of being on the highway. 
and be in a place where people can rest, people can get something to drink, get something to eat. And a lot of these towns were now completely abandoned or they had, you know, a, a quarter of the people that used mm-hmm. to live there living there. And we were able to talk to a couple a couple shopkeepers during the ride and they said that, yeah, since the since the new highway opened, mm-hmm. uh, business, you know, they said life has always been pretty pretty tranquil in uh, along that road, but it's entered kind of a new form of of calm and quiet. Yeah, and uh, and some it, some said it with a smile on their face. Some yeah. said it with like this exasperated sigh that all yeah. times are tough. You know, yeah. there's no business, there's no traffic, the economy is suffering. Yeah. So there were both sides of the equation were represented. Yeah. Which I don't know. It's just like you, you imagine trying to put yourself in the shoes of maybe a, a a third generation family who's lived on this road and has run a restaurant, and you're a you know sixteen year old kid and this new highway's built, and you see your family's life like slowly start to fade, and then you're told that you have to move to the coast or move to Durango or Mexico City because. There's no more work, and uh, I don't know. It's just again, it's it's just that that goofy. The what at what cost does uh, does progress come? Because um, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean the new highway, it'll take you from Mazatlan to Durango in two hours, where the old highway it can take anywhere from five to eight hours, and then if there's weather, well, pff, you're probably spending the night, going, probably yeah. two days. Um, so yeah, I don't know. That that was this added another element of. Uh, to the ride, you know, just yeah. to, to where your mind would wonder how you look at things, how you look at abandoned, uh, abandoned rest stops and whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, just added a, another, another little piece to it. But, uh, hell, six days later we made it. We, we conquered El Espinazo and, uh, I don't know, it was like the, it was almost comical because kind of like coming back to what you said about the expectations, the first morning that we rode. We were surrounded by this cloud for probably close to an hour of thousands of butterflies. And yeah. I was just almost laughing to myself, mostly just due to this idea, like an actual demon I could I had created in my mind um, that just toiled above this road and then having the start of it be filled with butterflies. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It was just almost like a, like a, like, a, ah, yeah, we got you, you. <laughs> You El Diablo. So yeah, we made it. We made it with the with the help of La Mariposas. And it feels pretty amazing to get here. Uh, I myself didn't really have any expectation of what Durango was going to be like. I was more just looking forward to being finished with these brutal days of climbing that I knew we had ahead of us. Um, but as soon as we arrived, we'd gotten this recommendation for a hostel to stay at right in the like historic cent- center of downtown Durango. And we walked into this world of color exploding all over the walls of this hostel. There were these two artists from Mexico City who were in the middle of these uh, huge mural projects on the upstairs walls of the hostel. And neither Tom nor I are experts in the history of Mexican art. Uh, I think we learned about uh, Frida Kahlo and Diego Rivera in high school Spanish class- classes way back when, but uh, it just felt like such a great welcome to the culture of mainland Mexico to walk into this ho- hostel 
and see these incredible pieces of art and meet the people who were creating them. And then we ended up spending like two and a half days with these guys, yeah. uh, touring around the city, talking about their lives. And the, they're from Mexico City. We were touring around Durango with a friend of theirs who's a local guy, another artist. And man, they took us all over. Yeah. And uh, yeah, like, like I said, we, we hit it off right away with with these homies that were hanging out at, at the hostel and uh, one afternoon we were sitting around with them and uh, they had some delicious uh, Durango mezcal and uh, while passing around a bottle of this tasty mezcal, um, Ty brought up the idea of, of good vibes. I don't know if I can take full credit for it. It might have been one of them. I don't think I even knew how to say vibes. But <laughs> you're right. Somehow we got on the topic. And we asked if we could pull out the recorder. We mentioned that we were doing this podcast, and here's what happened. Bueno, buenos días. Estamos en Durango, la ciudad de Durango, en el estado de Durango, en la casa de Bruno. Es un hostal en la zona central de Durango. Y Tomás y yo estamos aquí con dos pintores locales. Mi nombre es Jauregui. Jauregui es mi nombre. Jauregui. Y Néstor. Ernesto, muchas gracias uh, por uh, hablamos con uh, nosotros y um, cuando ahora estamos uh, hablando de nuestro viaje de México y estamos uh, tomando uh, o bebiendo una mezcal uh, muy buena, muy rica y uh, nuestra conversación um, se pega un, un tema de buenas vibras. Um, ¿Qué, ¿Qué piensan ustedes sobre uh, esa mentalidad de, um, de buscando uh, en la vida, buscando uh, las, las buenas vibras? Una buena actitud. Este, pase lo que pase, se lo va a tomar a mejor. O sea, le va a servir, vaya. Siempre le va a servir. Yeah, I mean, a big part of it's your attitude and its ability to help you take things as they come, whether it's good or bad. You've always got to remember that a good attitude will serve you best. Rather than approaching hard or sad situations with a bad vibe or a bad attitude, use them as opportunities to grow, to learn from. That's what I think is a good vibe. I think a big part of having good vibrations is always being willing to learn in one way or another because we're always learning. If we're working or if we're traveling, either way, we're always learning. And if you're not willing to learn or if you're living closed-mindedly, you're not really living at all. We're all living our own unique stories, but they're all parallel stories, and we need to learn from each other. And I think it's really cool that you don't have to speak the same language or have the same background as somebody in order to learn from them and in order to pick up on their good attitude and their good vibrations. For example, Tommy and I are from the U.S. and you guys are from Mexico and we speak different languages, we have different backgrounds, different roots, but in just a few minutes of talking to each other, we've come to this mutual understanding, this mutual learning that it's better to be open with new people and new experiences. Exacto. 
Sentimientos, idioma, la misma sensación. Yeah, exactly. The feeling doesn't have a name, and when it arises, it's fluid, and it's universal, and it's interpreted in the same way. Yo siento que el sentimiento es universal y se entiende o se interpreta de la misma manera. Como seres humanos, tenemos una... We're all human, and the, the best part is that we're different. But despite this, despite, despite the fact that we're different, we all want the same thing, more or less, you know, we all want to be happy. It doesn't matter where you are, where you live, what you look like, whatever, we have this wonderful thing in common, and that makes us all equal, you know, we're all, we're all striving for the same thing, um, and, you know, the, the way we strive for that looks different. The communities that we live in, are different. The way that we give to wherever we are and to the people that surround us is different. But there's this underlying universal tone to the way that we act, the way that we think, is you, more or less, you get, you get what you give. And if you put out good into the world, you're going to receive good. From here, after we touched on the topic of reciprocity, things got a little off track. We started talking about surfing and skating and graffiti. Then they started giving us recommendations about where to go in southern Mexico, food to try, which type of tequila to drink. And the interview kind of seemed like it was winding down a little bit. So Tom and I reached for the microphone just to turn, turn it off and save battery. And as we did that, Ernesto asked if we were finished. And we said that we were. He politely asked if he could just add one more bit to the conversation. And this is what he said. And I think that, you know, each of us really do want to change the world. We want to make the world a better place. But it's a lot easier said than done, because the hardest part about it all is that if you want to make a real change in the world, you have to change your relationships. So yeah, I mean, sure it may be a little cheesy or just kind of uh, hippie, whatever, just to be talking about good vibes, you know, meeting meeting a couple random artists all right, all right, in a hostel right. and talking about good vibes, but... Uh, I don't know, there was a lot conspiring really from the moment that we walked in to that hostel in Durango that uh, it was just kind of a, a tornado of good. Um, the way that we were welcomed, the way that they went out of their way to hang out with us and talk to us in Spanish and want to hear about our trip and then not only you know sharing a bottle of Mezcal with us over uh, a conversation about good vibes, but then the following day spending dusk till dawn 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 to dusk mm -hmm. sorry it's getting late here folks <laughs> uh exploring durango and um you know everything from going on a hike to hanging out drinking beers later and uh, eating scorpions <laughs> yeah the the catalyst for the interview the good vibes topic definitely can be a little cheesy and easy to mock sometimes but at the core of that idea is the principle to just treat people well and you'll get well treat you'll get good treatment in return and that's what this trip has been all about and we've been experiencing that every day since we left Denver yeah. and we're going to keep doing it yeah and i think one we had a one of our professors from DU Matthew Taylor 
uh, when we told him about the trip, uh, he he left us with one piece of advice, and it was give what you can. And, you know, what we have to give right now is a lot different than when we're in Denver or back home or whatever. But, you know, one thing that we are able to give is a good attitude and Absolutely. a smile and a thank you and, um, a, you know, at times pitiful attempt at trying to carry a conversation or answer a question. Um, so, you know, it again, it can be it can be goofy, but that's something that we're that we're able to give people is just general good vibe, good attitude. So. Yeah. And I think that reciprocity uh, was proven while we were hanging out with those guys. We were trying to put forth our good attitude. And uh, during that day that we were getting toured around the city, we got this email that we mentioned earlier from Jeremy Howard, who is our binge listener, our one and only binge listener. And uh, we mentioned that he had some questions for us that uh, we wanted to take the time and answer because we appreciate him listening to our voices for, what would you say, our, our total discography hours six hours six hours i can't believe yeah. you did that jeremy and, and they're they're i don't know questions that we haven't been asked yet they're 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 fun to get the wheels rolling a little bit so here they are all right first off tom how many days in advance are we planning for barring any major catastrophe uh give or take four days i'd say we usually have a solid logistically somewhat sound plan for four days in advance when we're leaving what we consider a, a checkpoint, a major city, a hub, whatever. Four days. And, uh, Ty, do we know where we're sleeping every night? Ugh. Uh, that one's a little fuzzy. We have our four-day plan. And we usually have an idea of where we're going to resupply at the end of the ride on those four days. But because we don't know what those dots on the map actually look like, what those towns are going to look like when we get there, it's hard to say for certain whether we're going to be able to find a place to sleep in those towns. Sometimes we're pretty confident. Sometimes we show up and we're like, okay, yeah, we can't stay here. Let's find something else. All right, Tom. How many days of food are we carrying? Um, well, peanut butter, we uh, that's kind of the life glue of, of our diet. And we usually have one week's worth of peanut butter. Um, and usually when we run out of peanut butter, that's kind of when we know we need to do a major life or death resupply. So peanut butter and breakfast supplies for a week, um, lunch and dinner, lunch usually three to five days worth. Mm -hmm. Dinner, usually pick up every night unless we're not going through a town. We'll bring a couple days worth of dinner, but um, yeah, that's more or less more or less how we roll in the food department, the, the spoken grocery store. How about spare parts? How many, what, what type of spare parts are we carrying? We've got the bare essentials to perform minor field fixes and keep us rolling with... Uh, Easy fixes, flat tires, um, quick links to fix our chain should anything happen to that. Uh, little odds and ends to perform some field jerry rigs, which have come in handy so far. Uh, anything more major than that, we're usually going to be hitchhiking to uh, a town to either find a car mechanic 
to do some work on our bikes or, uh, in serious cases, a town with an actual bike shop. Do we have any drop points along the way where we're going to pick up packages and goodie bags? I would love to say yes, in theory, but uh, after our last attempt at having a care package sent down, I'm just going to go ahead and say no for this one. Uh, last package we had was intercepted by the Federales, so um, no, we don't have any drop points. Um, really, I think we're going to start using people as mules when they come to visit mm -hmm. to pack them down with whatever we need, bike parts, whatever. Um, but no, no, no drop points for for the lovely items that we miss so dearly. Um, here's a good one. How many days are we going between showers? Ugh, showering. Uh, sometimes it's few and far between. Sometimes, if we're in civilization, we can get a couple of days with consecutive showers, and that's a real treat. But usually, about three to five days without a shower. Alright, Tom, here's a loaded one. How has our relationship together evolved? Specifically, how has it changed since we've crossed the border now that we don't have really any outside resources to rely on besides ourselves? Do either of us feel like at times we're carrying the burden of the trip on our own shoulders? Um, do we ever feel like we just want to kill each other or just have some alone time? And do we have a contingency plan to deal with those feelings or did we have one before the trip started? In short, how the hell are we doing this without killing each other? <laughs> yeah, good question. Um, I'd say we're getting really good at um, just reading one another's energy, um, being, uh, yeah, especially you know, energy coming in some very goofy forms because it's there's the actual physical energy you can tell when someone's dogging or tired, and then you know there's that kind of mental spiritual energy where. Sure, you may be crushing a 100-kilometer day, but every time you stop, the other person's quiet, or you can just tell their head somewhere else. And so it's not that we're like each carrying the burden of the trip. Um, it's more so we're both there uh, on the support squad for making sure that like team morale doesn't dip below threat level midnight um, because a two-man team uh, it's quite dangerous when the whole two-man team is uh, in the dumps and wishing they're somewhere else and pissed off and whatever because it's just human nature that yeah no matter how much time no matter how great the person is that you're spending every single minute of every single day with you're going to want to get away from them and I feel like we're both guilty of being uh just hit by these random moods of crabbiness or whatever where we just look at the other person and we're just like, oh, I just want to get away from, I just want to get away from you. I just want to go do my own thing. I want to, you know, just have some alone time. And uh, we're still working on that. We're still, I think yeah. now that we have big cities um, kind of on the map outside of Baja, it's going to be easier to just voice that. Um, but I don't know. What, what do you think? I think... The biggest thing that I've realized of how to keep those emotions in check is just by verbalizing them. And uh, when I feel myself getting crabby, even if I, if I know it's a stupid reason or, or whatever's going on, as long, if I just say it and put it out there, even if it makes me uncomfortable and like kind of feeling stupid for having these feelings because they're not well-founded, just putting them out there and letting you know about it uh, makes me start to feel better 
right away. And uh, I think as long as we keep doing that, we're going to be all right. Definitely. Yeah, commun- that, I'd say the, the contingency plan that we set from the beginning was just communication. That was really the one thing that we yeah. – the ground rule we set was just communicate, communicate, communicate. So still getting better at it, but, um, you know, good at it when it matters. Uh, all right, so final question from Jeremy was, if you could wish for one thing right now, what would it, what would it be? And does that change? Does it evolve biweekly, daily, whatever? Oh, it definitely changes. Right, right now, um, man, I think I would wish for a full breakfast buffet, an omelet with green chilies, salsa, and then a huge plate of pancakes on the side. But last week when we were in the jungle on our way here to Durango, all I wanted in the world was to just put on a dry pair of riding shorts and a dry shirt what about you um creature comforts i've kind of just come to terms with the fact that those are gone for a while um i would say consistently it's people like if like right now if i could wish for one thing it would be sitting on the patio of 2116 Juno Ave in St. Paul, Minnesota, drinking coffee, hanging out with my family in the sticky, humid Minnesota summer. Um, Because, yeah, I don't know. I've never been on a trip for this long, and I've been, you know, getting homesick and missing people and missing relationships and missing friends and... um, that's definitely the one most consistently. The company of people other than yourself, not to say that I do not enjoy it because I, I, I thoroughly do. Um, but yeah, other, other people. Um, no, I hear you there. Well, that is, that's it from Jeremy. Uh, but we just want to give a huge thank you to Jeremy for making us think a little bit and for all your encouraging words Uh, It means more than you know, and we just were so excited to hear that you've been sharing the podcast with your family, and we just want to say thank you, thank you, thank you. That brings us right around again to, ah, yes, the Spoken Tour head-to-toe physical checkup. Let me just take my pants off here. I guess I'll start first. Yeah, my my balls have been really just... (laughs) No, that is not what I was referring to. We're not doing a head-to-toe physical checkup. We're definitely not doing it under this comforter. And I am definitely sick and tired of hearing about your grundle and all the problems that are taking place therein. I was referring to the kindness of strangers. That is what we're going oh, to. Oh, no, yeah, no. I, I, uh, yeah, kindness of strangers. Yeah, 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 yeah. Anyway, like we were saying, kindness of strangers. We actually have a repeat. I think this is our first repeat stranger who has... Uh, displayed amazing kindness yeah. towards the spoken tour. Yeah, total stranger. It was, uh, Chris from the last episode seven, Chris handed us some water bottles on a super hot day in Baja, and he recommended us a camping spot on the beach in Bahia Concepcion. So we took him up on his recommendation, rode down there, camped out, had a pretty enjoyable night despite the heat, and then in the morning, who do we see but Chris? And this time, he gives us a bottle of... 40% deep uh, bug spray or bug repellent, which has been incredibly useful. So again, Chris, thanks a ton, man. And big shout out to our IT tech support, uh, Thomas Latriciano. 
he uh, was actually the one who posted our latest episode, and then uh, he also did some uh, groundwork on figuring out our total elevation gain on El Espinazo del Diablo. So, Tomaso, muchas gracias, mi primo. Yeah, we really appreciate you making the sacrifice to be the official spoken tour IT intern, and the fact that you were willing to take up that banner without any pay or any benefits whatsoever, just so telling of how generous you are as a person. Thank you so much, Thomas. Next, we've got a lady who is near and dear to my own heart, my flesh and blood, my matriarch, my mother, Kelly Michael, on her very own birthday, her 35th birthday, she gave the Spoken Tour a reverse birthday gift and uh, made an awesome contribution to our trip our trip funds and we got uh, two nights of air-conditioned sleep out of the heat in the tent and the mosquitoes and uh, it got us all the way down to La Paz, I think. So th thank you so much, Mom. I love you. Further donations can be reached at www.thespokentour.com slash support. Um, anyway, yeah, a big shout out to the coffee shop in Constitucion for lifting our spirits higher and more caffeinated than they have been in many a mile. So we sat through two rounds of Americanos. About three uh, hours. Yeah, worth. tapping our feet and twiddling our fingers. Um, so thank you very much. Um, that was much, much needed. Just a good, solid dose of caffeine. And in another coffee-related act of kindness... Uh, the family at uh, San Agustin. It's pretty much a one-building town. <laughs> and in this one building lives an awesome family that runs a restaurant and a little convenience store. Not only did they allow us to camp in their backyard, but in the morning when we rolled up, the guy, uh, the owner, had two cups of steaming hot coffee waiting for us. And we slurped him down and went to the counter to pay. And he kindly rejected our payment and just told us to have a great trip. Yeah. So thank you to La Familia de San Agustin. And a big shout out to the couple in La Paz who let me toss my bike in the back of their pickup truck after I busted a spoke. Really appreciate it. And to Tuli, the warm showers hostess from La Paz who has converted her own personal home into a hostel for cyclists. Uh, thanks for giving us a bed to sleep in and four days of recuperation in your beautiful home. And Russell Bike Shop, thank you for letting us use your tools, helping me fix a spoke, and uh, yeah, just being a great resource in La Paz. And then Giorgio uh, at Tuli's Hostel made us some homemade gnocchi, which was maybe the best home-cooked meal we've had so far. Yeah, that was rad. Uh, and then also at Tuli's house, we met another cyclist, Baptiste, from France. He's been on the road for just about two years. And uh, yeah, just big shout out to you for general inspiration. Um, he has gone from France east, literally around the entire world, and is kind of on one of his final legs of the journey um, down to Chile, um, Buenos Aires, and then over to Africa and cycling back to France. So um just a, a big morale boost for us uh, to help us blast south to Patagonia. And then after taking the ferry over to the mainland, we climbed our way up to this tiny little village called Chirimoyo. And when we got there, it was seemingly abandoned. We were dead tired, didn't want to continue riding, didn't know if we could sleep in this town, didn't really know what to do. And then we saw this man who appeared to be the one single inhabitant of the town of Chirimoyos. 
and we asked him what the deal was. He said, go ahead, pitch your tent, enjoy your stay here in Chirimoyos. So we want to thank you to the mayor of Chirimoyos for letting us crash. Yeah, I think he was both the mayor, head of police, um, chief fireman, um, chair of the Chamber of Commerce. I think he was, yeah. He was just a one-man municipal yeah. powerhouse. And to the teenage girl in Mexico who made us feel like celebrities for wanting to take a photo with us, uh, thank you. Oh, thank you just for such a for a rainy day morale boost and making us feel like we're doing something <laughs> relatively significant with our lives. Something worth celebrating. <laughs> yeah. worth something worth a photo on your on your, on your tabloids. Yeah. And then finally, here in Durango, we want to give a humongous thank you to Julio, Ernesto, and Jauregui, uh, the artists and tour guides who have been showing us around the city. Uh, thank you guys so much for giving us a taste of not only the local culture here in Durango, but the hospitality that also lives here. It has been tremendous so far. And uh, we're looking forward to seeing you guys again in Mexico City down the road and continuing the good vibes. Heck yeah. And, uh, yeah, to everyone else out there, sending us love, sending us whatever, um, we're soaking it in. It really, really, really goes a lot further than you may think it does. Um, as, again, it's just the, the two-man team over here. So uh, thanks for the morale boosts. Thanks for the Spoke Nations. Thanks for the prayers, whatever it is you're throwing our, our way. Um, we love it. Keep it coming. Um, and I guess for the next... Next couple weeks, we're again we have uh, we have some dots in the map that we're trying to cycle towards um, some some more cities, actual cultural cities that we're excited to go through. Zacatecas, San Luis Potosi, Guanajuato. Ooh. Anybody out there has any beta on those places? Please, please, please drop us some pins on our map on SpokenTour.com, and then next time we talk, we'll probably be in the biggest city in the Americas, yeah. Mexico de Efe. CCC. Um, well, we are going to continue eating gorditas and pedaling our way east, southeast, southeast now. Who knows? Yeah, who freaking knows? One, two, three, four. Pedaling on. Making friends around every curve, telling stories, peddling on. Mm -hmm. Oh, now. Peddling on to the end of the world. Making friends around every curve, telling stories, peddling on. Mm -hmm.